The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. We've been here almost 60 years. Actually, I was looking at some, somebody brought some history. Actually, we started as a mission in 1960, so we've been a little, around, a little bit longer than 60 years. We started as a mission of Clay Como Baptist Church. No buildings here on this site. Started meeting in a tent. I had to bring a porta john to fight mud when it rained. And the animals and the dogs and the bugs and they built that building. We're just still part of that building. Start meeting before there was heat in it. And before the water was turned on. So we still had to use a port john And they finally got it done at the meet inside. And then they built the upstairs and started meeting upstairs with heat and bathrooms. And soon thereafter, they built this building. What does the future of Tallerview look like? We know there's a developer that wants to buy some of our land. Initially, he said all of it. Now they said just some of it. What does the future of Tower View look like? What are our buildings look like? Where are our buildings located? What does your pastoral team look like? What do you all look like? Tower View is not just this building. It's not just this location of us that are here together. We are a local church. Tower you didn't always exist. The kingdom of heaven has been going on for centuries without Tower of You Baptist Church. And if for some reason Tower of You Baptist Church ceased today, no plans, the kingdom of heaven still goes on. Churches come and go throughout the centuries, throughout the countries and the continents of this world. The kingdom of heaven is growing. But while we are here, while we are in this place and in this building, what do, how are we functioning as a church? What does that look like? What will the walls look like? What color will we repaint the walls? What color will we replace the carpet with? Will we get new windows? Will we have a ball field? What will our ministries be? Who will be leading those ministries? Who will be teaching our children in Sunday school class? Will we have the Barnabas Pastoral Boot Camp? Will we have the Tower View Discipleship Institute? Will we have Club 316? Will we have anything else? What will we do? I don't know. We can make the plans and go follow through with them the best of our ability. But we can't have no ministry without ministry workers. We can't have no ministry if we don't have income. And praise God, the income has been good. For Tower View. So, 
there's praises to things that have happened. The people that have been saved, the people that have been baptized, and the blessed ministry, the things that have happened in this church throughout the decades. Praise God for that. Praise God that it don't quit. That we keep ministering. What will that exactly look like? We don't know. And so we pray. Pray for Darren as he leaves. Pray for me as I do whatever I do. Pastor of stuff, right? Um, pray for our leaderships, positions, the people who are teaching, the people who have the finance, the buildings and grounds, all, all those things. People who mow the grass. Our Sunday school teachers for adults and for children. And for whatever we do in the future, the sound, people on the sound and video equipment. We pray for all those things. Whatever that looks like. So pray, and so as we pray together corporately, remember, put this on your prayer list. All these things I've just said, put these on your prayer list when you pray at home, or while you pray at a red light, or while you're taking a break from work. So let's take all this to the Lord now. Lord God, we just humbly come before you, Lord. We just praise you for the blessings you have provided this church, both today and throughout the decades that this church has existed. The people who are godly people who have blessed this church throughout the decades. Or that it did great things, that it did those minor things that nobody paid attention to. Somebody has to move forward. And so we praise you for all that that has happened. And Lord, just guide us, give us wisdom on what to do going forward, how our church will look, how we will serve each other, how we will serve you, how we will serve this community, how we can we be a witness and a beacon of light these neighborhoods of Maple Park and Glassville and the surrounding area. And so show us, Lord. Give us wisdom. Give us strength to go on. Give us the resources to move on and do those things. Whether resources or money or the resources or people or other things. But mostly give us your heart. That no matter what we do, we are serving you. And everything matters because we're serving you. And nothing matters if we don't serve. So give us your heart. Give us your spirit. Holy Spirit, we're going to do each and every one of us. We just pray these things in the mighty and the holy name of Jesus. And all power of you said. So this Easter Sunday morning, we're going to be looking in the book of Matthew. And we're starting at the end of the book of Matthew. The last five verses of the book of Matthew. Matthew 28, verse 16. You say, well, that's not about the resurrection. That's okay. We already read all about the resurrection. You know about the resurrection. What do we do because of the resurrection? How do we live because Jesus rose again? How does that change your life? 
So as we read God's word, let's stand as we, once again as we read these few verses of God's word. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus was, had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Thank you for standing for reading God's word. You may be seated. And so here are 11 disciples. Wait a minute, weren't there 12? Judas betrayed Jesus and did not repent, and he executed himself. And they went to Galilee, because Jesus, and we just read, if you were in Sunday school class, and it was read earlier, they went, Jesus told them to go to Galilee. To the mountain he told them, but it doesn't name the mountain here. Why? Because the mountain doesn't matter. Why? We just put a church there and make it a tourist attraction today. And God says, I don't need tourist attractions. And they went there and met Jesus there. And they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. Not, not just talking about Thomas, doubting Thomas. He'd already repented. He said, my Lord and my God. But they had been taught since they were kids. They went to synagogue. And they were taught what the Messiah was supposed to be. This is what the future looks like. Here's what the end times look like. They had charts and everything. You been to those meetings that have charts on the future? And Jesus is blowing up them charts and ripping them up and throwing them away because he says, those aren't my charts. And so they were doubtful because the future wasn't unfolding as they saw it. The Messiah was supposed to be a military leader come in and kick some Roman patootie. Jesus didn't do that. He let the Romans execute him. Let them execute him. He didn't have to execute them. That's due to the power of God to be done that. He has an angelic army that's bigger than any Roman legion. But that's not his plan. That was not his plan. And so they doubted because Jesus, you're not following the right plan. You're not following the charts. Because if you followed the charts, is it a step of faith for you? Some were doubtful. But Jesus didn't call them out and say, why are you still doubting? Get out of here. You're not a disciple anymore. You're doubting. He didn't kick him out. We will have doubts at times. What psalm did Jesus quote on the cross? Psalm 22. What does it start with? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That doesn't sound like a psalm of rejoicing. It goes on to say, I cry out to you by day, you don't answer. This is the Nelson paraphrase. I call out to you night, you don't listen. Where are you, God? My prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. 
Jerusalem doesn't say there. He says, I remember. I remember the miracles you have done in the past. And that psalm ends with praise and saying, God, God, I am going to tell others about you. I'm going to educate them about what you have done. And so while the disciples doubted at this, some of the disciples doubted at this point in time, they didn't stay there because they remember God's promises. So when you do doubt, don't despair. Remember God's promises. Remember what God has already done for you, how he's already blessed you, how he's already changed you, how he's already saved you. So there will be seasons of doubt, but don't stay there. Find the blessings of God. And sometimes you've got to pick this up, your Bible, and start reading it. Whether you're reading it from a big old printed Bible like this or you're reading it from your app, I don't care, read it. If you're reading it from the New American Standard that I got here, you're reading it from the ESV that's a pew Bible, you're reading it from the 1611 King James. I don't care. Read it. Or whatever language your heart language is, read it to that translation. Read it. Find the promises of God so you can rejoice. So if you doubt for a season, you don't stay there. You can praise God because God's blessing doesn't depend on our doubting or not doubting says in 2 Timothy, if we are faithless, God remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So even if our faith is wavering, God's faith isn't wavering. Because he cannot deny himself. And so... They were doubting. And what did Jesus do? He spoke to them. He spoke to them while they were doubting. He didn't ignore them. He didn't cast them out. He spoke to them. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus has all authority. Why? Because he is the Son of God. Because he is God. He has the power of God. How do you know that? Just look at his miracles. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He had been dead for four days. He had no special embalming. He wasn't frozen in a morgue freezer. He was in the hot desert, so he was decaying. How does a decaying person come back to life? It's an act of creation. Just like the creation of the world. Only God can do that. We have doctors that can restart your heart if you stop. There are people sitting in here who's had their hearts stopped. Bill raised his hand. I wasn't going to call him out, but he raised his hand. His heart has been stopped, and yet he is sitting here holding a grandson. But the doctors can't go to the tomb, can't go to the graveyard and bring up his who is dead. They don't have that power much as we'd like them to. They can't do it. They don't have that power. Only God does. 
Jesus healed people. They were paralyzed. Think about next last time you had to go through physical therapy. You, and how many months of physical therapy you had, did you have to go through to get your strength back? Jesus healed people who were who couldn't walk. They didn't have to go through any physical therapy. They got up and walked away just as fine. If some miracle of medicine, they figured out how to help Jeff back there walk again, he didn't have to use a wheelchair and a scooter, he still would have to go through months of physical therapy to regain his strength and learn how to walk again. Praise God if that happens. But Jesus healed, none of that had to happen. Because Jesus had the power of creation behind him. He is God. He was a man. He bled. He died on this thing we call a cross. I mentioned it before. I'll mention it again. We have a cross here. It's been sanded. It's been stained. It's very pretty. That's not a Roman cross. They didn't stain it. They didn't sand it. They didn't care if it was pretty. They preferred it ugly. Because when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he wasn't talking about a piece of decoration. He wasn't talking about jewelry. He wasn't talking about a tattoo. He was talking about a method of execution. Take up your hangman's noose and follow me. If you're old enough, take up your electric chair and follow me. Some of you young people are going, what's an electric chair? I don't know. Jeff drives an electric chair, right? I don't know. Take up your executioner's axe and follow me. Following Christ can be deadly, physically deadly. Sometimes it just maybe you lose everything you thought was important in life. Jesus said, when you follow me, your families may become divided. Some of your families may not like you anymore because you follow me. They may cast you out. There are families in this world when one of their sons or daughters become a Christian. They hold a funeral. Even though their heart is pumping just fine. And they say, never come back again. There are families in this world where their son or daughter become a Christian put a bounty on their head because they've rejected the religion of their family. There's more than one religion that does that. You may give up everything. You may lose your job because you become a Christian, even as in America, because your boss wants you to cheat, cheat the customers, cheat the, the books, Cheat the IRS. And you say, I can't do that. And he says, well, I don't want you to work for me then. And you lose your job, even as if you've worked there a long time. You may become a Christian, and your spouse says, you ain't the person I married anymore. I'm out of here. Bye. You may become a Christian, and your kids say, hey, you, I, don't want, I don't want to be around you anymore, Dad. Mom, I'm out of here. Or a brother or a sister or a parent. And you may, you may lose things on this earth. But what is that to eternity in heaven? 
all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus has power. Where is, where is heaven? I don't know. It's out there somewhere. It's in a different world. But the Bible describes heaven. Well, we, the Bible describes little glimpses of heaven. We get, we get snapshots of heaven. We, we don't get any good descriptions. Like an incomplete Wikipedia article or something. We don't, we don't get the whole thing. He said he has all authority. But what did he tell the disciples to do? He says, go and make disciples. He says, where are the disciples? Is there more of us? Yes. Go and make disciples. Where? All the nations. The Greek word behind that is ethnos. Ethnic, where we get the word ethnic. Go to all ethnic groups. So it's not just political countries because those are man-made. I mean, you have a world wall or somewhere in your house. It's probably obsolete. It's probably was obsolete the time it got from the printer to your house. Because countries are always changing. They change their name. They have a coup and they change their name. They, you know, countries come, countries go. Every group. No group is to be left out. There is no group more important than any other group. Because God has created us all. No matter what language is our heart language, no matter what pigmentation is in our skin, no matter what our hair looks like, or not, it don't matter. It don't matter your gender. Even if you try to change your gender, it don't matter. It's still God. Says, go and make disciples of everybody. There is no disqualifier. All are qualified to become disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You want to hear a seminary theological word? Trinity. There it is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You know a seminary word. You've probably heard it before. They're co-equal. They're different, but they're co-equal. We can't describe it in our words. How do you describe the indescribable? We have some word pictures that kind of describe it. All of them are incomplete. They're all sort of right and sort of wrong. But they help us to understand a little bit better. Go. He says, go. Now that may mean he calls you as a minister, as a missionary, and you literally go to some other country. But most people, he doesn't call that way. Go. Go to work and make disciples. Go to your family reunion and make disciples. Go home and make disciples. Go to church and make disciples. Go to the restaurant and make disciples. There is no place you can't go to. It's like, well, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't feel called to go to Africa. Okay. You don't have to go to Africa. Go to work. Go home. Go to your neighbors. 
You can go there because you have access to your neighbors nobody else does. You have access to family that nobody else does. You have access to coworkers no one else does. And so your mission field is where you are. The people you know already. And you know what? Some of those people might reject you. They might say bad words to you. They might like, oh, you're one of those. Okay, well, I was going to invite you to my house to watch the Royals this afternoon, but never mind. I don't want to go. And you get left out. You don't get, you don't get invited to the Super Bowl party. But you get to go to heaven. Isn't that better? That's better than any Super Bowl party, even if the Chiefs are playing. Even if the Chiefs are going for the fifth one in a row. It don't matter. It's nothing compared to heaven. Super Bowls don't mean nothing in heaven. World Series don't mean nothing. They're a great pastime here, but they don't mean nothing. Go, therefore, make disciples. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. What did he command you? Well, I don't know. You have to read the rest of the book of Matthew. How did he start out? Jesus started preaching. How did he start? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is near. He didn't say, well, God is love. That wasn't his first sermon. It was repent, which is the same sermon John the Baptist preached. Repent. God is love. Yes. I'm not negating that. Jesus started out his preaching with repent. That's where he began. We can't forget that part. Not for the man and the woman in the mirror, but not when we talk to others. Repent. Not just confess. Prisons are full of people who have confessed their sins. And as soon as they get out, they're going to go do it again. And now they've learned how to do it better because they've had some teachers. Got some new contacts. That's not repentance. Repentance is, yes, confession is a piece of it. But it's like, God, I don't want to do that again. And some of us, we have sins in our lives that we want to quit. But they won't quit. They won't stop. God, I don't want to do this anymore. Sometimes it's a chemical addiction, alcohol, drugs, some other thing. You want to stop it, but it's an addiction. It's hard to stop because your body craves it. It's not easy. If it was easy, you'd already stopped. Sometimes it's not a chemical addiction. It's something like gambling, overeating, pornography. Those are addictions too. Why don't you stop them? Well, because you get a reward in your brain. There's a chemical reaction in your brain every time you do that thing. And there's a reward. And now you stop doing it, you stop getting the reward. If it was easy, you'd already stopped. How do you stop doing a sin that won't? You can't stop. Paul said, Well, what a wretched man am I. Because the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do do. Pretty much how he said it, too. You don't believe me? Romans chapter 7. 
He says, God, what do I do? Counselor in me says you need to replace it. You want to, re- you want to get rid of it? You got to get, you got to replace it with something, a holy habit instead of a sinful habit. That's not easy. It was. You'd already done it. It takes time. It probably has a lot of setbacks. That's part of repentance. And part of the repentance and part of the process is you hate doing the thing you were doing. That's part of the progress. Because there's plenty of people out there. It's like, you can go to the bars, it's like, you got a problem with alcohol? Nope. <laughs> Give me another one. <laughs> okay? <laughs> they aren't hating their sin. They're loving it. Same with porn and other ones. That's a sin? Why? I don't care. It's not about me, any. You know a new website? They're not hating it. Hating sin is part of repentance. Even if you keep doing it, if you're hating it, that's still part of the that's the beginning of the progress. But you hate the sin. Whatever it is. Sometimes the sin is just hate, and it's like, I hate this person. I can't stop hating them for what they did to me. They did this thing to me when I was five years old. I still hate them. I hate that former boss. I hate whomever for what they did to me. And part of the progress, part of repentance is hating the the fact that you hate. Is it easy? No, if it was easy, you'd already done it. God loves us. God is faithful. He is patient. Think about how patient we are with our kids when they're little. Some days we don't think we have it. But you don't kick them out of your house when they're three years old and have temper tantrum, do you? You're out of here, kid. Can't stand it anymore. Hit the road. All right? We don't do it. Why? Because we love them. We're responsible for them. God is infinitely more patient with us than we are with our own kids. Yes, right. Thank God. He is infinitely more patient. How many more chances does he give us than we give our kids? If I have to tell you one more time, repentance. That's how we started. He said, repent. And his disciples, he said, go out. And he said, you're going to be persecuted. If they persecute me, they're going to persecute you even more. They're going to lie about you. He said, be shrewd as snakes, but innocent as doves. So understand what the ways of the world are. Just don't be a part of it. Be innocent of them. Be scammed by them. Know about them, but don't be scammed by them. Know that the world is going to lie about you. They're going to cheat. They're going to do anything they can about to stop you from serving Christ. Just go to Russia. Just go to Iran. Go to China. And see how they treat Christians there. But they, as a Christian there, you need to know, yes, I am serving Christ. It may cost me my job. It may cost me my life. I'm going to serve him anyways. I may miss out on some parties here. 
I'm going to serve him anyways. I may not get the promotion because I refuse to work on Sundays so I can come and worship and make disciples here. Why can we do all this? The last phrase there, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Always. Not sometimes, not just on Sunday mornings, not just on Wednesday nights, always. At 3 o'clock in the morning, you can't get to sleep, and you're staring at the ceiling in the dark, and you're miserable. He is with you. When you're in the hospital bed, and nobody's come to visit you because they won't let anybody else in, he is with you. You cannot run and hide from God. You can't join the military and get deployed into some faraway country and run and hide from God because he's there too. You can't go and move to another state and become a hermit and live in the mountains. He's there too. You can't become an astronaut and go floating above the earth at 17,500 miles per hour above the earth. Because he's there too. And if you ever get a chance to go to the moon, he's there too. <coughs> you can't hide from God. God can't lose you. How do I know this? Psalm 139. There is no cave, no hole, too dark, too deep that God can't find you. There is no mountain that's too high that God can't see you. There is no cave that is too dark that God can't see you. Always. Tell married couples that when you're arguing, there's two words you should never use because there are always curse words in an argument. The words always and never. Because in a marriage argument, they're, they're never right, but they're always wrong. <clears throat> you never take out the garbage. Well, I took it out once about three months ago. God always means always. It's true. Always. Even if you don't feel it. Even if your emotions are lying to you. He is always there. Sometimes our emotions are such we don't feel like God's there. Just because you don't feel like God's there doesn't mean he's not there. I don't feel like an American today. Too bad, you are one, whether you feel like it or not. Until you re rip up your passport and get a new one from some other country, you're an American. At least today. But America is not always. It not, has not always been, and it may not always be in the future. It can go away. God is always. He is always. He was there for the disciples in the whatever year this was, 30 AD-ish. He is with you today in the year 2022, or however we want to count it. doesn't matter how we count the years. He is there. Always means always to the end of the age. And this page ain't over yet until Christ comes back, whenever that is. Whether it's this afternoon 
for 100, 100 years from now. God hasn't told me that. And it's not in the Bible. That's not information he put in there. He didn't tell the Jews when Jesus was coming, and he ain't going to tell us when he's coming again. Jesus rose from the dead. And he calls you to be a disciple to the best of your abilities. You may not learn Greek and Hebrew. That's okay. But be a disciple to the best of your abilities where you are today. And Jesus called you to help make disciples. You know what? That may mean you only make one your whole life. That's okay. Not everybody has to make there's no quota. There's no quota. There's no quota. I sometimes kind of get down. It's like I think about my chaplaincy ministry, and I think about here, and it's like I've, I've been a pastor of a church, and I do campus ministry. And I think about the great things I have done for God, like all the people that came to flock to hear me. Yeah, not so much. I didn't grow great church in Mosby. I didn't grow a great ministry at Ball State University that people are still talking about today. I haven't helped turn Bellevue into a mega church that's bigger than Pleasant Valley. But you know what? When I, when I get back, God puts images in my mind. He shows me pictures. People. Individuals. One here, one there, one there. Ooh, that's I'm not sure how I touched what I did, but God puts their picture in my mind. And so you may not do great things by the world's definition. You may not be in a success like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates or Joseph Biden, because he made president, so he's a great man, right? Because he's president. But God doesn't measure greatness the way the world measures greatness. He doesn't measure it by dollars. He doesn't measure it by number of people. He measures your faithfulness. He measures your repentance. He measures your godliness. Facebook groups, and then somebody posted that they were talking about one of their associate pastors that moved on, told them to go find another job because he wasn't doing anything. He's a, he's a godly man, but he's just not getting things done here. And my comment was, so we've turned the church into the corporate world. It's measured by the number of tasks that are completed, and not by godliness. That's the way we measure it. And, and church people, that's how we measure pastors. Are we making budget? Are we growing? Are we failing? We measure it by the same, we measure pastors by the same standard. Churches always have. Pastors measure themselves by that standard because we're what we why? Because we're sinful people in a sinful world. And that's easy to measure. We can measure dollars. We can measure how many people are sitting in here. We can count them every week. 
How do you measure godliness? How do you measure how much sanctification you've, you've had in your life? How do you measure repentance? Sometimes it's easy to see. Other times it's really hard to see. That doesn't mean you don't try. So the disciples did what? They did what Jesus told them. They proceeded to Galilee. They worshipped him in verse 17. Even through their doubts. They listened to Jesus. And they did what he said. Go and make disciples. Those 11 guys, they added the 12th one in Acts chapter 1. What continent is Christianity not found? much world history has been changed because of Christianity. Mostly for the good, sometimes it's bad. But it's because of Christ, because of the sinful people who called themselves Christians. Just because somebody says they're a Christian doesn't mean they are. Go and make disciples. Change the world. Maybe it's not going to change the whole world. You may only change the world for one person. Jesus didn't preach to the whole world. He only preached to Israel and the surrounding area. And yet his gospel got out to the whole world. The Bible keeps getting translated into more and more languages. In some languages, they have to first figure out how to write the language down before they can use translated into that language. Because Christ came, the world changed. Because Christ came, you changed. Because Christ came, you can change if you haven't changed already. Jesus has given you strength and knowledge and wisdom. You need to follow him. You don't need to go to seminary. You have the knowledge just got to change one thing in your life. And that'll start. Today it may only be one thing, but that may start an avalanche of change in your life and the people around you. Even if you're already a Christian, maybe the one, what's the one thing you need to change today that God's calling you to change? And if you've never turned to Christ, today is a great day to turn to him the first time. Follow him today. Let's pray. Lord God, you are the mighty God. You speak through those of us who are ineloquent, who stumble in our words, who, who, who do odd things with their eyes and, and their voice as they talk. It's your word, and it's your power that we're holding. I pray that you will change the lives of people in this room today. Whether they've been a Christian for decades, and there's one more thing they need to change, or they never come to Christ ever, and they need to change and repent for the first time. I pray your Holy Spirit would be working on our lives. Would you sanctify us? Would you turn us to follow you? We just pray.
pray all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.